Mark uh, chapter 9, verse uh, 14. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind could come out only by prayer. In some versions, only by prayer and fasting. Verse 30, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So within the past, at least couple of months, right, past couple of months, um, some difficult, trying, disturbing, challenging times, right? So you got these Boston Bomber guys, you know, and one of them, you know, being a younger kid, the older brother, not that much older, you know, early 20s, and um, then you have this young kid who's 19, you know, you got this kid, you know, in Newtown coming in, another young guy. Unthinkable acts, you know, of evil. Um, and unfortunately, it just seems like an increase, really, in these sort of like violent crimes and in this sort of evil that's like coming about. And it's interesting to notice uh, in some of the trends that a lot of them have to do with like younger age males, really, in this case, right? Younger age males, like younger kids, younger guys. And I was reading it and doing a little bit of research online this week, and I was, you know, looking at as far as teens, ages um, 10 uh, to 18, the third leading cause of death among teens is suicide, you know? And we just had, you know, this pastor, Rick Warren, famous pastor, right? His son, a little bit older, out of his teenage years, um, he just committed suicide himself, you know, had a gun and ended his life right there. It says, in the past year, one out of 11 teens admit to having made a suicide attempt. One out of 11. 
So if I'm sitting in my classroom, you know, at Notre Dame and seeing all these guys, and, and guys, uh, the next stat was uh, 86% are male, 14% are female. So, you know, I'm sitting in my classroom, I got, you know, 30 kids in there, and I got four classes, you know, it's 120 kids, and, you know, one out of 10 are at least, you know, doing or try attempting suicide. And who knows how many are thinking about it. So like these kids, these young kids, for whatever reason, are thinking that things are so bad and so horrible. They're so discouraged and so at the end of their rope, they're just going to call it quits. That's really, really sad. And then the professionals in the medical community you know, come see doctors, you know, come talk to them. Let's figure out what, you know, what's going on. At the end of the day, they can certainly offer some help. But there is just, you know, no easy answer cure, for sure. If there was, we'd be taking advantage of that at all costs. I certainly believe, and I certainly think, and have the opinion that Satan, the devil, the enemy is a real force and a real power. I think his hand is definitely at work. And many, much, most, maybe all of these cases. If it's true, like it says in the Bible, that what we battle with, what we struggle with, is not flesh and blood. Right? But principalities, right? Forces, right? Of darkness. Things we can't see in this un you know, unseen realm. But some people have a gift to actually see that. And if you talk to some of these people, it's like, what the? You know, they, they describe certain things going on that they see, and they're just gifted that way. They can just see those things. I, that's one of my prayer requests. I'm not asking God, like, to show me at some times. You know, give me some glances. But then the other side of that, I'm like, I also don't know what comes with that. I don't know. I might actually be later on praying, oh, man, I wish I never knew, or I wish I never saw so, there's like this uh, perilous, just desperate, title of the message, desperate days for so many like young kids. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, maybe it's from their environment and, and you know, the people that were around them and, uh, you know, what they're into and what they're around. Okay. But don't we maybe think that maybe, possibly, there could be a Satan or an enemy or a devil coordinating the environment, the culture that they're up in. Absolutely. If I'm Satan and I'm the devil, I would definitely create a culture like that and make it less obvious than maybe like what we just read about. Because sometimes he also does what we just read about, where he just actually comes in and just possesses just a person. And they can't even function. Just control and dominate their entire body and function. They're foaming at the mouth and hurting themselves or hurting other people. It's crazy. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the passage a little bit. And then we'll also tie it into kind of like what's going on nowadays. And also try and figure out where our doubt, you know, comes into this. And we'll look at that part of the passage where Jesus is like, how much does, how long does that put up with these people? Because that seems kind of insensitive. Like what is Jesus, you know, saying, you know, I don't want to put up with you anymore. You know, he's Jesus. Like you can't say that. He's Jesus. But I guess maybe he can say it because he did say it. So there must be a reason for that. So we're going to try and see and take a look and walk through the passage and see how all this stuff fits together. All right? And in your bulletin, you have like, I think, six C's there. You got six C's. 
And that's going to help us walk our way through. And sometimes you just do the alliteration because that just helps with the learning. And it makes it a little bit easier to follow and understand. So, let's get into it. So the first part of what we are looking at here. First part we're looking at. The first C is a combative conversation. A combative conversation. So if you're filling in and you do want to write it in. It's a combative conversation. That's the first part that we're going to look at here. We're looking at a combative conversation. Here's what's going on. Verses 14 through 16. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. Who's they? Right? We're going to take a look at that. It says, When they came to their disciples. They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, arguing with them. This is a combative conversation. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. When they came to the other disciples. So here's what happened. Last week, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They were all up on the mountain. And they have like this ridiculous spiritual experience. And that's why your question for the get the juices flowing was in there. When was the last time you just had an amazing experience with God? Well, they just had one. Because what happened is they were on top of the mountain... And they're with Jesus, and Jesus gets transfigured, metamorphosized. Right? We talked about butterflies last week and metamorphosis. Right? Transformed right before their very eyes. Just clothes turned like perfectly white, and just everything just changed. And then two visitors show up. This is an intense quiet time. Elijah and Moses show up. In fact, it was so amazing that Peter himself said, you know. We should just like build some shelters right here and just stay here. Forget everything else. Let's just stay right here. It's amazing. Powerful experience. And after that experience, like many times in, in our lives, like at some point you come down off that mountaintop, you gotta get back to real life. Back to the valley. And so what they're doing is now they are coming back, you know? And it's not a bad thing to come back to the valley. Because the idea is we just got poured into on a mountaintop and now it's time to come back and pour out and bless. That's why it's like people, if we don't set aside time to have some mountaintop experiences or any time at all with God, how can we ever expect to pour out into others into what they might need? It's not going to happen. just can't do it. In fact, we'll probably just stress ourselves out and we'll try and do maybe a lot of good or helpful things But it's not guided and like infused by the Spirit. It's just going to come up a little bit short. A little bit short. So they come down off the mountaintop. It says, when they come down, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. It says, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So they come down. It says they're overwhelmed with wonder. You got to think when Jesus came down... He's probably still glowing a little bit. I mean, that's intense. He just changed. He was glowing as white. as amazing. So like filled with wonder when they see him, but then also thankfulness because he comes down and sees an argument. He sees his disciples he's been hanging out with. And then he also sees the religious leaders. I picture them wagging their fingers. I don't know if they did. But I picture them wagging their fingers, you know, talking and they're arguing. But meanwhile, there's this kid flipping out, dying right in front of them. And they're arguing about like the best way to handle it. And the disciples are trying to like bring God into it and 
pray for him, help him, and nothing's happening. And the leaders like, see, I told you you can't do that. It's got nothing to do with that. And it makes me think and wonder, like, how often, maybe sometimes, in our really smart, intelligent, educated culture, diagnose this, diagnose that, medicate this, medicate that. Let's not involve God or the supernatural into the picture. Makes me wonder how often we sit there and we argue and debate and go bicker and go back and forth about what might need to happen when at the end of the day, maybe Jesus needs to show up onto the scene in a real way. So that's how we initiate and that's how we get into our passage. Combative conversation. So then let's see what happens. We look at a controlled boy. A controlled boy. A controlled boy. It says, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And then Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. It says, When they brought him, the Spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw him into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So we see a controlled boy here in this case. This is a desperate day. So if you have kids or somebody you love, and they cannot function on their own. They just can't live their own life. They physically can't do it. And they're controlled by something, someone, somebody else. I mean, you can think that when you have somebody you love, and they get hurt, or they're sick, or they're suffering. That's devastating. And can you imagine maybe having a son or a daughter from childhood foaming at the mouth and getting into these seizures and just losing all control of all motor skills in their entire faculty. I mean, this guy is desperate. He's done. And it does say that it happened somehow at childhood. You know, Jesus described the devil. And he said, you know, the devil, the enemy, he's a murderer. He's an accuser. That is what he does. And knowing Satan and the devil and having the advantage of being able to read how he's acted in history. I can't imagine going through this life and like really not having the Bible, you know? And so it would make a lot of sense for God to show up in, you know, in miraculous ways to guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah, you know, and David and just give them these words because they needed it. They, they, they couldn't go to this like we can. But Jesus said he's, he's a murderer. He's an accuser. Like that's what he does. And what he does, he tries to chop you off right at the ankles. He doesn't want any momentum to get going. None. Any momentum to get going at all. When Jesus himself was born, sent out a decree, hey, listen, kill all the young kids under two. We think that wasn't directed by Satan at all? Absolutely. He's trying to cut us off at the ankles before we can get any momentum going. And you better know it, every step of the way, we'll be there trying to fight, trying to fight trying to fight. And that's why I say, man, pray for those people who are getting baptized. It's not just some sort of like nice Christian thing to do. They're setting, they, they just set themselves up and they said publicly, I'm doing this and I'm going this way. 
That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It says that studies reveal that children watch approximately 28 hours of television a week. More time than they spend in school, they watch TV. It's interesting. And it says the typical American child will view more than 200,000 acts of violence, including more than 16,000 murders before age 18. It says television programs display 812 violent acts per hour. And that's not counting music. It's not counting video games. It's not counting going to concerts and watching people bite off heads of bats. Mr. Osborne, right? I mean, there is like something strange going on. And what do kids do? Like, they don't like hang out and talk with mom and dad, you know, and want to get into issues in their lives. They run to their friends, they run to their music. They, you know, play their video games and they're playing with some kid in England, you know, and who knows what's going on. Don't think it's not strategic. Now, this is very interesting. Speaking of music, so Beyonce, right? Famous, you know, well known singer. Has a kid with Jay Z. I don't even know if they're married, uh, whatever, but Beyonce, right? So she's, you know, lip, well, she lip synced at President Obama's inauguration and got kind of busted for that. Um, so uh, she had to re sing it somewhere else at something, I forget. But she was also the halftime Super Bowl performer. It's very interesting. You dig a little bit deeper into, you know, Beyonce, you know, and her life and what the deal is. And, you know, her background is starting off, you know, at a church and singing, being part of the choir and having God, you know, be a part, um, being around Christians and going that route. And then, uh, you know, at some point, who knows what happened? She gets, you know, famous and does well and things get weird. But now things are really weird. Um... So you read and dig a little bit deeper about Beyonce. And then she's also with, you know, Jay-Z now. And like I said, I don't know if they're married, but at least they're together and they have a child together. And there's many articles now, and you can read and you can watch interviews with her. You know, her last album entitled Sasha Fierce. You know, that's, that's her last album title. So Sasha Fierce is this uh, spirit that she believes empowers her and comes upon her during a performance. And she says this, vocally, like in interviews. And she says, I feel like when, you know, when I get on that stage, you know, I call upon, you know, uh, I, she says, I actually lift my hands and I can feel this spirit come upon me. And I can perform and I can sing in such a way I've never been able to before. And I can control the crowd. She's like, I, she's like, I watch videos of myself. And you can Google this online, so I'm not lying to you. Go ahead and look at it. She goes, um... I, uh, I don't know what I was saying now as I was quoting her. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah, she feels the spirit coming on her. And so then uh, it's coming and she, oh yeah, and then she washes up. She says, wow, that's not me. She's like, I'm typically sort of reserved and I don't really do that stuff. She's like, I can't believe I'm watching myself, you know, do that. It's amazing. It's very interesting. So now the guy she's with, I, I don't know, sorry. Jay-Z, very interesting as well. Jay-Z, man, he's got at least three quarters of kids in my classes listening to his stuff and wearing his stuff. I mean, very interesting too. You know, he has 
um, these signs, you know, of uh, the Illuminati, you know, which gives reference uh, to uh, satanic. Um, and, and what they do is they usually throw up satanic uh, symbols, and it usually has an eyeball in it that, you know, has also satanic and cultish meaning behind it. And it's interesting, there's this uh, satanist priest, Lester Crowley. And his phrase and his motto was, do what thou wilt. That was like his thing, that's what he said. And this same guy also supported child sacrifice. He has it written down. It's crazy. And then you watch Jay-Z and you sit in a TV interview. What do you think? It's like we're going right across his t-shirt. Do what thou wilt. As he throws up these Illuminati signs and it's just not good. It's just not good. And it's very strange, right? And so, you know, all these things are happening and going around. And, you know, we could just bury our heads in the sand and say, well, you know, they're watching this or playing that. They're not bothering me. And so, I guess that is an option. Certainly not the best for Christian parents. Or we could, like, take a look at it and see what the heck is going on. And those are just like, you know, small stories. And you just pick on Beyonce because, I mean, she's president inauguration. I mean, halftime, you know, Super Bowl show. But this is the stuff, you know, that's going on, that's going around. And the idea is you can't really play and mess around with that stuff. You can't do it. And so I'm not sure how it happened to this kid in this story in his childhood. Somewhere along the way, somehow Satan, one of his demons, snuck in there and was wreaking havoc. Tell you what, I don't want somehow, some way to sneak havoc into my son. Because don't think for a second he's not looking to come after my son, or your son, or your daughter, or your cousin, or your nephew, or whoever. He's looking to take us off at the ankles. And he wants control and he wants destruction. So now we have combative conversation, a controlled boy, we have a crushed father got a crushed father. He's crushed. He's desperate. Verse 17, we saw it at first, and, and then it's also in 22. We already read verse 17, so we can re- read verse 22. It says, it has, the spirit, it says, it has often thrown him into fire. What? A kid throwing himself into fire? Or water to kill him. But if you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. This guy's desperate. And I can't imagine maybe how often this dad, you know, probably and the mom, you know, just crying themselves like, what is going on? You know, just desperate and hurting. And you can imagine them probably chasing their kid into the fire or chasing them into the lake or into the pond, trying to rescue them out of there and people trying to hold them down and help them. It's desperate. This guy is crushed. And I don't, you know, know how you necessarily you come, you know, to church this morning. But I also, uh, you know, I know people that, when they are feeling that crushed and crisis does hit, uh, they don't necessarily run right to the church because for whatever reason, the church um, has done a poor job as with PR. Like you can only come to church if you're sort of clean and doing better. Oh my God, what an awful message. Awful, awful message. This is like supposed to be a hospital. It's other things, but it's part of it is a hospital. So it's bad news, you know, and 
What we see, though, in the midst of it is we see a composed Christ. We don't see really a Jesus really freaking out. Which, I mean, he was also part human, so I guess he maybe had to fight off that a little bit. So let's take a look. We see a composed Christ. We've got a crushed father. We see a composed Christ. Verses 23 to 25. If you can, because that's what the father says. Man, we've been struggling since day one. He says, uh, if you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, man, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. It says, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Personally, I can say that this guy, I don't know what his name is. We don't get his name in any of the Gospels. He's like kind of my hero a little bit. Because I can see many times in my life where I come before God and I, and I, I want the faith for it. And I want to believe for it. For whatever reason, it's not quite there. So then my choices are, well, ignore it altogether and act like it's not going to happen. Or two, hang in there, stick in there, keep trying to be faithful, and be honest with God about it. I want to believe you for it. I'm reading about it. I'm now tempted to sort of abandon things that you've called me to do and asked me to do because of my doubt. God, help me out. I want to stick in here and fight this thing. I like this guy. Because you know, part of him is like, man, we've been trying everything. We've been trying to do everything. But, Jesus, you know, part of me is kind of like, we've been trying everything. So help my own belief. I like that part. I like that part of faith a lot. Because at the end of the day, doubt and faith, right? Doubt and faith, what's going on there? There certainly is a part of faith that matters. God makes it very clear. There are some people that he picks and chooses. He says, yes, I'm going to work through them. Yes, I'm going to work through them. They're not surrendering to me. It's just, it's not going to work out. No, you know, I still love them. But it's just, they're not surrendering to me. It's, they're not going to experience that. I can't have my will come through. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's, it's not going to happen through that person. It's not going to happen. But some people are surrendered. He says, boom, I can work with them. I can work through them. I can do that. That mat- So faith like opens the door. It makes it possible for God to actually bring his kingdom here on earth. So that faith part is almost like opening that door, opening the floodgates and say, I don't know what you're going to do, but I want you to do it. And with doubt, doubt I think is okay. Because it could bring us to a place where we honestly come before God. Because he came honestly before Jesus. He came honestly. I don't know. Help my own belief. The problem with doubt, right? The good part of doubt could be it could bring us actually to God if we have enough courage to actually let him do that. The problem for many of us is that what doubt does is it just paralyzes us. Just paralyzes. Just freezes us. I don't know, you know, and this isn't matching up to what I thought and where I invested, you know, in this area, you know, for God, and I haven't seen him show up, so I won't say he doesn't exist, but I'm not exactly going to give him everything either. 
Satan's like, yes, got another one. Or at least freeze them up for a while. He's willing to work with that. So faith and doubt, I mean, doubt definitely plays a role, but we, you know, we could do, you know, we got choices with that doubt. Because we're only humans. We're not going to understand what God is doing. I mean, Isaiah 55 makes it really clear that his ways and his methods and his thoughts much higher than our thoughts. As far as for the, the heavens are from the earth, the east is from the west. So this composed Christ, he says, you know, how long has it been happening? Almost like a doctor. So how long, you know, has this been happening and what is going on? And Jesus says, if you can, it's pot. Uh, and then the Father says, uh, you know, if, if you can help us. And Jesus says, absolutely, it's possible. And in verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. He says, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And so Jesus right away just gets real direct, almost aggressive in a sense. He just talks to him, assertive, says he rebukes him. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Did Jesus say that? In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. I mean, he's Jesus. Can you say that? So he says, right? Basically, he just rebukes him. He doesn't have to say in the name of Jesus because he is Jesus. Get out of there. You got no place. It's not the disciples right now. This is me. And it says what? It shrieks, right? Spirit shrieked. So probably the boy did. Convulsed him violently. Came out. And then the boy is just sort of like in this rigor mortis type state. And this is our other C here, our fifth C. This is the cured boy. Where Jesus comes in, he says his word. Boom. And it's not like in this rigor mortis state. Everyone thought he was dead, actually. Got to imagine he probably maybe lost some color. Just kind of like flattened out. No response. It says in verse 28, After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? Here's our last C. Confused disciples. We have some confused disciples. They're not getting this whole thing. They're confused. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus says, this kind can come out only by prayer. And I like the King James or New King James Version. And you probably have maybe a little uh, letter there, letter uh, B or, or some letter in bold. And that's like a footnote. It brings it to the bottom of the page. And it says, by, it says by fasting and by prayer. We have confused disciples. They're confused. It's interesting, right? So Jesus comes down. And he says, man, how am I going to put up, you know, with you guys? What's the deal? He's obviously frustrated. I think it's okay to be frustrated, but we can't sin in anger because of the frustration. I mean, to think that we're going to go through life, and God expects us to go through life and not be frustrated is kind of ridiculous. We're definitely going to get frustrated. But then what do we do with those feelings of frustration? Do I let that out in anger in someone or towards someone? Does that like show itself in like less patience in some way or something else? Right? Jesus was frustrated. Why is he frustrated? Because Jesus leaves and he leaves with Peter, James, and John, and they go up there having their time. And apparently the disciples down below, well, they're away, you know, and they just are sort of just doing their thing. And apparently have not been 
keeping up with their prayer time and their fasting and staying committed to that. So when Jesus and the important people left, they didn't have to do it. I know many people that think, well, that's for the missionaries to do. That's like for the pastor, you know, to do. Or that's maybe for the elders or the deacons. They see all this stuff. They're around it. But I'm me. What's going to happen with me? Well, all the me's were the ones that were down there. And Jesus says, well, you just can't do that because you're a me. No, he says, you could have done that if the prayer and fasting was there. See, I don't know when these moments or these times are going to happen for each of us. Who knows on what day and what situation and what circumstance. We might just be called to, bam, thrown on the scene as something crazy. And has the Spirit been being fed and is He not leading us into it? Or are we now just at our wit's end trying everything and then arguing with everybody on the scene because we don't know what the heck to do? In your bulletin it says, one of the fill-ins there, why were the disciples powerless? They were powerless because they were prayerless. They were powerless because they were prayerless. They needed to plug into the source. And you said, hey listen, you could have, you could have, but you know, this one is the special one. You actually have to try it a little bit. You actually have to be really committed on this one. Apparently this was a pretty serious demon or spirit and they needed a little something extra. And I think it's totally, you know, uh, good for us to think that we're going to encounter something that needs a little bit extra. So because of that is the last fill-in in the bulletin there. It says it's best for us to be connected, invested, and educated. It's best for us to be connected, invested, and educated. Connected to God, with God, around God around church, around his people, around Bible studies, around this Bible, around messages and songs that come out with who he is. Follow the ones on Twitter that are connected. I follow the ones on Facebook that are connected to God because I want it to be flooded. I want it to come in. I don't know what might be coming down the pike for me, for Julie, for my friends, for my son, who knows? But when it comes, I don't want to be guilty of not being connected. I don't want that part. Invested. So I just don't want to just be around these people. I want to just be like invested into God and have myself like into them, invested into this thing. And I also want to be educated as far as what's going on around me. Do I know what's going on like with Beyonce? So like many times, right, you know, with the kids, with the parents. So here's the difficult part. Because for so many of us, it's going to be, well, Okay, that's the music. You know, that's the thing. This is the situation. So now as a parent, like, what do you do? You know, do you go in there and lay down the hammer and just say, no, you can't listen to it anymore and you like, throw their stuff out? And I don't think, that, I don't think that's going to go anywhere good real fast. Unless you got one heck of a kid. I, I don't I don't see how going over well too, with too many kids. So now as a parent, right, you're put in a tough situation where you know it's bad and you have an idea of what's going on, but... And then that's, they're like, you know, around it and connected to it. And so then, you know, like, what do you do with that stuff? 
Well, I think right away what we do is we educate ourselves. Like we come to them like with the verses. You know, like what the songs actually say, like who the people actually are about their lives, like where they came from. And what if we actually even came to the kids or came to these kids with, and we knew more information about the artists, you know, than they did about the songs, about where they're coming from, they might be interested in that. Not that all of a sudden they would just drop it right away. But at least maybe they at least now have a listening ear instead of immediate defiance and rebellion. And then the next best thing we can do is behind the scenes just be praying our butts off. Because what we want to do is we want to bring kids to where Jesus is being taught. That's what we want to do. And we just want to intercede on their behalf and praying our butts off. And having other people around us praying our butts off for our kids. Got to. Because we've said it, you know, already before. Saints are looking to cut us off at the ankles. Start it quick. <coughs> Third leading cause is suicide among kids. It's crazy. He's done an incredible job to just weaving into kids' hearts and minds and just get them to just fill them with despair discouragement, depression, and just bringing it all around them, flooding them with it. It's horrible. It's horrible. So I can say that after a message like that and seeing that passage, the cause, I think, honestly, I do believe it, in these situations is that Satan is at work. I don't exactly know how he does it, but somewhere, somehow, at the root of this discouragement, this despair, and this control, he's somewhere working, doing something. I don't know, but he's definitely behind it. Jesus said he was. He's a murderer and accuser, and he wants people to go down with him. And the crazy thing, you know, about him is that he just makes that sin or whatever look so appealing or look so innocent or justify it with a lot of different reasons. And then once we get into it and get locked, we think now like we're really living it up and and liking it. And then what he does is just dumps the guilt on after that. And it's just like this vicious cycle. It's horrible. So what we'll do is we're going to close again uh, with that song, uh, 10,000 Reasons. We'll sing that song one more time. And uh, I hope that during that song you just take the time um, just to pray about kids.